The, the Lord dropped in my heart. He said, son, the anointing is obviously very important. We know that. But he said, the anointing really works in, it works in a variety of areas. I'm not trying to, this is not a, a bigger picture. I'm just, just follow what I'm trying to say. The anointing primarily works in two areas, but it works in other areas too. But he emphasized two of the areas. He said, one, the anointing works with the congregation to get the people certain things that they need. Do you understand? It's not just up here with a dry message. It's the impartation through the word and by the spirit and maybe even through other people in the congregation before and after service and the worship. And there's a whole lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts in a service before, after, and during where God by the spirit is getting things over to people and helping people. The anointing is what accomplishes that. Now, the anointing is here for the congregation, Jenny. Regular congregation, not fivefold ministers, just congregants that have come to study the word and, and receive from God. The anointing will produce things for the congregation. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Maybe I don't want me to get it all done uh, now, but I'll maybe continue it uh, next Sunday as well. But the anointing is here to help the congregation, but the anointing is also here secondarily to help fivefold ministers. People People that God is raising up with a call on their life because what they need something that they need the same as the congregation but they also need something extra because of the call on their life now there's a third area that he's been highlighting to me the anointing part of the office part of the call is also there not just to affect the congregation not just to affect the ministers that need a little extra within the congregation but is also there to affect society and government policies now, remember, Pastor Nancy talked to me about that, and, and that's to do with that prophet's office, that apostle's office. That's what Reverend Randy was talking about. That's what I shared with you on Wednesday night. I read you part of that about the voice and about it changing things and politics in Canada and things turning. So the anointing is here not just for promise of life. The anointing is here for promise of life people, promise of life ministers. The anointing is also out there for the secular world, certain things that have to change and turn. Plus, of course, fourthly and lastly, the anointing is there for other works in other countries or other parts of Canada outside. In other words, the anointing is not just limited to Mississauga and 140 Capitol Court, and it's not just limited to our Christians here. It's also to help the kingdom of God expand its, its reach in other areas of Canada and the world. But it's also there for secular reasons. It's there to help turn things in the nation. It's there to help adjust things in policies. I'm telling you, don't underestimate what the anointing can do. You think that the only way to change a government is just by voting? You think the only way to change a government is just by picketing? You forget Reverend Randy went in the spirit and walked the hallway of the Supreme Court, saw the nine seats and saw a demon sitting in one of those seats. And the Lord said, that demon has possessed the woman that sits in that seat. Rebuke that thing and I'll get that woman out of office. He commanded, you get up and you leave this chamber. And it, you know, didn't want to. And I got it. And he said, it trotted down the thing. Look back at him with yearning. Let me come back. And he said, I said, go. And he went out the door. And the very next day, the lady resigned. Because that demon was controlling her and, her and her mind. And when that demon lost its power, she, God was able to get in and get her out. Because those people make decisions that affects the righteousness of that nation. Yeah. The way is not just with picketing. It's not just with voting. There are things in the spirit that the anointing can accomplish for a nation that goes beyond the things of the natural. Yeah. Now, I'm not mainly focusing on that today, but I wanted to just emphasize these things, and I have other scriptures to share with you, but he gave me a unique one. The anointing is here to help congregation members. 
The anointing is also here to help people with a five-fold call on their life. I'm talking about within the confines of this local church. I'm just talking about category one and two. I'm not talking about international. I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about our church this morning. The anointing is here to help congregation members. The anointing is here on me to get things over so that the people receive the highest flow of every service of what God wants. There are certain things that must be spoken by the unction of the Spirit from a pastor's mouth in order to feed and help the sheep. And if the people don't pray and put a demand on that anointing, those things will not be spoken. Can I give you a quote that Pastor Debbie Simon said, which I thought was just wonderful? She said this, your job, she's talking to the church, your, your regular people, your job is to create a room for your pastor to flow in his highest anointing. You create a room for your man of God, not for yourself. You create, not for yourself, you not by yourself or for yourself. You create it with your prayers and with your believing and you create it for others. Your job, by your prayers, by your believing, by your expectation, by your demand, is to say, Father, I believe that he'll step into the highest anointing. Because the highest anointing, the highest flow will accomplish what nothing else. I can preach the greatest sermon to you, uh, like, you know, like a silver tongue, <laughs> like Charles Spurgeon, and I'm not knocking him, he's wonderful. I can, I can have the greatest oration abilities. I can have full examples. I can show you videos. I mean, I can package it in a way, and actually, I'm not, I'm not like, a, like a Charles Spurgeon, but I, I, I can package things in a certain way where it's just perfect. But if there's no anointing on that, all you've got is a very, a very slick, organized, perfectly from one point to the next dovetailed transitions are seamless and you've got a great message, but it was all mental. And most churches today, they have amazing orators that can do great messages, but there's no power attached to that message because it's not just the mind's ability to interpret the word and try to deliver it. You've got to go beyond that and you've got to say, I lean and rely on you, Holy Spirit, more than I do my oration skills. I lean and rely more than on my studying ability, more than in my notes and how I prepare that message, more than even how I want to skillfully deliver that message. I rely on you, Holy Spirit, because if it's just me, it's going to, it's going to affect but it's going to affect minimally. But if it's you, even you can talk through me, with, even if I don't have good English, even if my transition's aren't perfect, even if I'm doing it by inspiration and I haven't written out the sermon and I'm a little bit uncomfortable because I don't feel like I'm doing that good of a job, if, it's, if your anointing is on it, you will, every person will get something. And that's what we're after. It is your job to create a room for your pastor to flow in his highest anointing. You create a room for your man of God, uh, not by yourself or just for yourself. You create it with your prayers, the prayers of others, and you do this for others. In other words, you create a room, Taylor, not just for you, but for everybody else. And you don't do it only, you do your part, but everybody else does their part. And they do it with prayers and they do it with believing. And they do it staying in peace. Greatest problem that we have in church. Remember Paul, I won't read you the scripture. It's not in my notes. I can't remember the reference, but maybe Taylor, you'll find it for me later. But remember Paul said, I can only give you milk because of strife. Do you remember that? I think it's in Hebrew somewhere, but he says, I can only, I can only feed you the lesser things 
I can't give you meat. You're not ready for meat because of your striving, your fighting, your arguing. In other words, in a church, when people are mad at each other, when people are offended with each other, Reverend Sandy, when people are always rowing with each other, it creates an atmosphere where the anointing can't operate. And all I can give is basic stuff, and you can just receive basic stuff. But if there's peace in the congregation, if people are not everybody's best friends, but everybody respects each other, loves each other, and is not rowing with each other, then what the Holy Ghost can do is he can go to a little bit more mushy food, then he can go to a little bit light meat, then he can go to a bit heavier meat, and he can feed the needs and help people with greater revelation and greater impartation because there's peace in that atmosphere. In other words, the anointing doesn't work right when there's fighting. Have you ever tried to hear from God when your house is in disarray? Yeah. When everybody's ailing and fighting and arguing and there's all that stuff going on, it's very hard to be at peace and hear your spirit. You've got to get away from that. Quieten your mind. Get in the spirit. Holy Ghost, what are you saying to me? And you'll hear. But when you're in that charged negative atmosphere, it's very hard to hear from God. Just like in a church, if it's a charged negative atmosphere because everybody's rowing with each other, the anointing won't work right. So the anointing is very, very important uh, for you. Listen, every pastor has a call. Every pastor has an office. Every pastor has an anointing. But your prayers and your faith can cause that anointing to grow or to diminish. You can pray that I step into something stronger so that you'll be fed more, so that people that are sick will be healed faster, that people that are demonized, the demons will come out quicker. In other words, the anointing can be stronger or lesser in the service based on what the people prepare and also, of course, based on what the pastor prepares for. Amen. If the minister doesn't, this is very important, if the minister doesn't step into that greater anointing, certain things won't come out from the pulpit that the congregation need to hear. And certain prophecies won't come out. And certain things about the nation won't come out. And certain things about international won't come out. If I don't step into that higher flow, certain things don't happen because, because the anointing is lower. And then we just have to kind of do patty cake with each other. But when the people pray, this is what I talked about on Wednesday. When the people do their part, invest in the service, and actually stake, put their stake of that railway track. We want the railway track laid so that what God wants in the service comes through. Everybody has a stake. Some people are moving the track. Other people are planting stakes to keep that thing secure. Why? So that what God wanted for that service happens. That the high, Dad Hagen taught us, you could, there's a high flow for every service, and there's a low flow. And if the people are disrespectful, if they're rowing, if they're fighting, if they're irreverent, if they're distracted, if they're, if they're discouraged, if they're just disjointed, it will be a low flow. But there'll still be a flow and people will still get help, but it will be low. Whereas the people come together in unity and they pray and they put a demand and they believe and they're hungry and they're in peace with each other, then that pastor steps into a higher flow. The highest possible flow for that service so that the people that need healing get it and the people that need correction get it and the people that need a miracle get it and the people that need deliverance get it and what needs to be said for the nation is said and what needs to be revelation needs to come out to feed you spiritually with spiritual food it comes out and very important that anointing can actually come on the people not just me so that as the words are spoken their heart is able to receive what is said it's not just me delivering it it's the people receiving it the anointing can help them receive it better as well as me utter it better. Do you understand? So the congregation has to have the anointing. The pastor has to have the anointing for the congregation to have its highest flow. Yeah. This is very, very important. But on the other hand, 
about individual fivefold ministers, and I don't normally talk about them because most of you are not them, and I try to keep the subject material to stuff that applies to the majority. But when the Lord specifies, I have to say it. And not all of our young ministers are here, but they're watching, hopefully. I know they are. But listen, when it comes to a young uh, a five-fold minister, I don't just mean spiritual, I don't mean physically young. Some of them are older than me, but spiritually they're developing for that office. It's very important that you listen to what I'm, what I'm saying to you on this. Because if ministers do not honor and put a demand on that anointing, they will not get the impartation needed for their call. This is a very missed concept with all these young ministers today in society, Taylor, trying to be hot head on show number one. I'm the boss. You know, I, I, you just, you know, you pay me this and I'll do this and you're lucky to have me on your staff kind of an attitude. Now, what many young ministers don't realize is that there's things that God will only give them as an impartation through somebody that they're submitted to. That if they don't get that impartation from that anointing on their spiritual father, on their Elisha, if they're Gehazi, on their Elijah, on their on Elisha, in the case of Elijah, on the Timothy, in the case of Paul, there's certain anointings that won't come. And if they don't get those impartations, Sandy, they can't step into the fullness of their call. So that humility and that attitude of serving and that attitude of, I come not thinking I am, my cup is not full. I can't, God can't fill a full cup. He can only fill an empty cup. I empty myself of my pride and of who I think I am. And, and because I've had some success preaching here or preaching there, I empty myself and I say, Father, if you put this person in my life, let me serve them. Let me honor them because I need that anointing to fulfill my assignment. And this is something that is, I think, missed in general. But I think in our church, it's pretty strong because we teach on it. But it's missed in general, honey. Yeah. And so the Lord along these lines, both for the congregation and for the minister, gave me a scripture about the man Gehazi. I've never preached about Gehazi before. But he showed me something along, remember we're talking about the anointing for the congregation, the people, and for the ministers. The anointing is very important, but there's some principles and rules you've got to abide by. So quickly look with me as we, because we got about 10, 15 minutes, but just look with me here and I want you to read with me. Okay, you ready? Second Kings 5, 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. He was the captain of the army. He's not the king, okay? He's the captain of the army. He was a great man and an honorable man because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a... That means, you know what leprosy is? That still exists today, even though you can take pills now and get rid of it. Back then they didn't have pills, okay? And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel and a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Talk about strategic placement. This poor girl is a slave, but God's going to use her position, even though it's of servitude, to bring great help. And she said unto her mistress, would God, my Lord, would God, my Lord, were there a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She's saying, I wish there was a prophet here in Samaria, because if there was, he'd get healed. And I love my master, and I don't want him to have leprosy and die. She's got a good heart, right? Verse 4, and one went in and told his Lord, saying... 
Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Why would she say it, Sandy? She would say it because she had seen the prophet in her land before she was taken captive heal people. Otherwise, why would she equate healing with the prophet? But she had seen the prophet heal and the power of God and the anointing was on him. And so now she's in a captive land in a, in a slave position. Her, her master, who she is not necessarily, you know, like this is her, she's a slave to him. She doesn't necessarily, most slaves aren't exactly looking for the best welfare of their slave owners. But look at her heart was pure. And even though she was against her will as a slave to this man, she saw his suffering and she knew that prophets and the power and the anointing heals because she had obviously heard it and seen it in her own land. And she says, I wish there was a prophet here because if there was, you'd be healed, master. And then somebody goes and tells the, the, the master, Naaman, you know what this little girl said? She equated healing with a prophet. That's kind of strange. Did you notice that? Verse 5, and the king of Syria, okay, now watch this. The king of Syria said, go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now listen, obviously Naaman, here's this guy saying about the maid, goes and tells his boss, the king, apparently there's some prophet in Israel that can heal people. I'm your chief of staff. I'm dying. Why don't you put some pressure on the king of Israel so that I can get healed? Are you, are you following the story? So they take all these riches and they go and bring to the king of Israel. Now with this letter is coming to thee, verse 6, Behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now did you notice there's a mix-up in communication? The maid said the prophet healed, but the king thinks the king heals. Or if he thinks the prophet heals, he doesn't even mention the prophet. So he might think, but we don't know what he's thinking, because he's not even thinking prophet. He's saying, king of Israel, I'm sending my boy to you. He's dying. Heal him. Now, the king of Israel got no healing power because he's got no anointing. Do you understand? And it came to pass, verse 7, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? Do I have the power of life and death? That this man does send me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, see how he seeks a quarrel against me. What the king is saying is, God, I can't heal, and I don't have power over life and death. This king knows that, but he's trying to set me up. He's entrapping me, and he's saying, heal my servant. And then when I come back and I tell him I can't heal him, he's going to use that, and they're going to have war with us. See, his mind is spinning. He's thinking the king of Syria has got an impure motive and he's using this as a ruse to have a war. That's not the case, but he don't know that. So he's afraid. And it was so, obviously the people talked amongst each other when the king rips his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he obviously didn't do it very often. But when he rips his clothes, Wayne, that is a sign of great, great, deep grief and internal. I mean, that's the, in Jewish culture, that is the greatest act uh, that you can do when you rip your clothes. I mean, it's, it's a speaking of breaking of covenant in some situations. Fathers would do that when their sons died, they would rip their clothes. That's why God ripped the temple. <laughs> when Jesus died, he ripped the, he ripped the clothes of his habitation. 
Did you, did you know that? It wasn't just so that we could come in. It was his, his deep sorrow that he had to turn away from Jesus. And he ripped his own clothes of his habitation because he lived in that temple. And that, temple's, that, thing, that, that, that temple curtain was the robes of his habitation. And he ripped his clothes like a father would rip his clothes when a son died. Are you with me? So this is a deep act of great pain when they rip their clothes. So people are talking about, hey, did you hear the king? He ripped his clothes. Why? And so Elisha, the prophet, hears that the king is distressed. And it was so, verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore dost thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now unto me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I wanted to send a letter to Justin Trudeau. Why are you afraid? Let them come to us and to other ministers like us. And you'll know that there's a God in Canada that can heal and that can deliver. The difference is the king had some respect for the prophet, but the government has no respect for the church. And half of the reason is because the church has got no boldness and, got no, and they've changed the message. And they're now everything is seeker sensitive and I don't offend anybody. And they've lost the anointing. See, if the church had the anointing, they'd probably come to us more. I'm telling you the truth about it. And so he said, uh, there's a prophet. Hey, I'm here. I, lo- I like the boldness, Victoria. Let him come. Let him come. See, no, no fear. Not, well, I'm not sure if the Lord is going to heal this time. But you know what? I'm just going to try my best. If he wants to come, he can come, but I'm going to have to fast and pray. No, there's such boldness. Let him come. Let him come. As David Hogan would say, bring it. Let him come. I'll show you there's a prophet. Praise God. Hallelujah. They had famine and they called David because he tells him, if you've got a problem, call me. See, that's such confidence. They called him, David, we have a famine. All our crops are dying. We're, we're going out of, there's no money to feed our children. He goes to the top of the mountain where it's dry and parched. And he says, I command rain. This is David, the one that's preaching our pulpit. I command rain to come. And I command, he spoke to the ground. He said, I command you to be fertile. And he quoted, because the Bible says in Psalms that the shout of the righteous will cause the, the earth to yield forth her increase. And he said, Father, your word says the shout of the righteous will cause the earth to yield increase. And he shouted to the earth. And you know, within a few weeks, it started to rain. That pastor, that pastor that was going under, that had planted a chili crop, but they, the seeds were in the ground, but it was dry, nothing. He had the largest harvest he's ever had where he had to take chilies. He moved his family out of the house because they'll steal it. He, they all slept on the, on the dirt outside the house. Because they had the house, every room from floor to ceiling jammed with chilies, the harvest, until they could get a truck to take it to market and sell it and make a massive profit. They slept outside because they had to protect their harvest because the man of God stood upon a mountain and said, I command you to yield your increase. I'm telling you, there's a prophet. There, There are still people today that have the power of God. Just because others don't know about it doesn't mean it's not true. We have the power of God. You can say to somebody, bring it. You should have somebody at work. Oh, this person, you know, they did it. Tell them to come to me. I'll let them know that there's still a Jesus in Mississauga and that he uses me. You've got to have that same attitude. 
And so I love that. He's so bold. In verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Oh, this is a big deal now. And Elisha, <laughs> listen to me. There's a nugget for you. This, remember, Naaman represents the congregation. He represents the people that have a need. That's you. Now listen to me. Most people want some fancy show. Are you with me? They won't accept it if it's simple. They won't accept. Are you listening? They won't accept the answer coming by the inner witness while I'm preaching and the Lord just showing them the answer. That's not special enough. They want a counseling session. They want me to wave my hand over the place and say, Abracadabra, in Jesus' name, be healed. They can't just lift up their hand during worship like today and say, I believe I receive it by faith. You see, that's too simple for them. They want to show. I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is a spiritual principle. A lot of people, they want something fancy. And God is not always going to give it to you fancy. But he'll give it to you if you're, listen, all God's looking for is humility and obedience. If you're willing and obedient, if you've got the right attitude, and if you just do what I say, you'll eat the good of the land. Just be willing, just be humble and obedient. So he comes to the door and he says, now, and Elisha, Elisha doesn't even come out. <laughs> I love it, Sandy. He doesn't even come out. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm peeling eggs. Which I've learned, if you don't do it, as soon as they come out of the pot, they all stick together and you can't get those shells off, Wayne. You've got to do it quickly out of the pot, cold water, peel them right away. He's just taken the pot off the water. He's added some cold water and he's peeling eggs and he says, I'm busy. But don't you know this is the captain of the entire army of a nation and the king has asked you to pray. Our king has been asked by his king to ask you to pray. He's outside. I don't care what you're doing, Elisha. This is not the time to do whatever you're doing. Get outside. Elisha, don't even show up. I love it. Because he did that on purpose because he was trying to get something over to Naaman. He sent a messenger, which we know was Gehazi, unto him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and the flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely would come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and shake his hand over the place and recover the leprosy. He wanted a big show. A lot of you want a big show. When I was praying this morning, I had another, other verses planned for this about the anointing and about its importance for the congregation and for ministers. And the Lord said, those are good verses. Do those another time. He said, I want you to do 2 Kings 5. I've never preached from this chapter before ever about Naaman uh, and, and about Gehazi. And he said, tell the congregation, I'm telling you, this is right from heaven this morning. He said, tell the congregation, some of them are looking for a fancy show. If they'll just do what I told them to do. What I told them by my spirit through the word directly and what I tell them through their pastor. If they'll just do what I tell them to do with a humble, obedient heart, they will get their miracle. Amen. They're looking for some fancy this, some prayer tower here, some counseling session there. I need some now. I need you to lower, pastor, I need some miracle spring water. Pastor, I need you to spit on the cloth and, and, and just, and then place it on me. And as you're doing it, let's, I want Taylor, I hear the brush of angels. Ring. I need that song while you spit on the cloth because I'm looking for, I need this fancy thing. And many times I've learned with God, he'll get what we need, Jenny, but it's not the way we thought would get it. 
It'll be sometimes through the inner witness. Many times, that's the main way. It's sometimes through a little scripture verse that you overlooked. Sometimes it's through what your pastor said that you disregarded, but you watch the live stream later and you go, I never heard that. And God says, there's your answer. It's not always a big show, but you will get your answer. God is faithful. Are you with me? That's, I'm telling you, that's a, that's a word for you today. And are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Why can't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and left in a rage. I mean, Jenny, he's not just, he's not just disappointed. He is spitting mad. And his servants came to near. Sometimes you need to listen to the people under you because they're smarter than you. Now, that doesn't apply to me and my staff, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it absolutely does. And I do. And his servants came near and spoken to him and said, my father, look at that. My father. In other words, I'm trying to get something over to you. I submit to you, but please listen to me, my father. See, that's a term of endearment. My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would not have you done it? How much rather than when he says wash and be clean? In other words, you're making it hard on yourself. Some of you, if God told you to go and be a missionary in the gutter in Calcutta, you'd do it. But when I just ask you to come to church and tithe, well, that's not good enough for you. You need something more. But, 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 but I said lift your hands this morning and receive healing. But that's not good enough. I need you to lay hands on me. But, but, but that's not good enough because I can't feel it. No, but, but if it's, uh, you would do the hard thing. Why can't you do the easy thing? It's not hard. God will answer it. And he went down, verse 14, and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child. Oh my God, Jenny. And he was clean. And he returned. He left mad, but now he's come on back. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company. Obviously, he had a big entourage with him. And came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing from my servant. What is he talking about? I want to honor you with a, something tangible. I want to give you an offering. And he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, Elisha said, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, before you start saying, see, I knew there was a scripture in there that says we can't take offerings. I knew pastor was out of order by taking an offering. Before you start getting on your high horse there, you'll see an answer later on. But that, that doesn't mean that he never took an offering, but there was a, they were in a season where there was not to be a distraction. And that was, that, that was just part of what God had dealt with him in that season. But if you look at other times, he received. Do you remember the guy came with the chapter before with 20 loaves, brought the tithe? Did he receive that? Of course he did. But there were times where God said, not now. And you've got to listen when God says, not now. Amen. So uh, he refused it. And Naaman said, shall there not then I pray thee be given to thy servants two mules' burden, uh, uh, two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto any other gods but the Lord. In this thing, now watch his heart. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant that when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there and he leaneth on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow, bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. He is, he's converted. He's received the God of heaven. 
He said, there's no God like the God of Israel. But he said, I serve the king. It's my job to go into the idol and idol worship with him. If I don't, he'll kill me. So when I go in and he's leaning on me and he bows to the demon, if I don't, they'll kill me. I will bow, but in my heart, I'm not bowing. I bow to Jehovah. Please make sure God gives me mercy because I have no choice. Do you understand? And what does he say? And he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him. Now watch this. Now I'm talking to ministers. Are you listening? Congregation, your simple word, there's a lot more, but I can't get into it today. Your simple word is stop looking for the fancy. God will do it. Just be humble and obedient and do what he says and stop trying to get a show. Just stay simple and release your faith. Even in dirty waters of Jordan, even though this is not the greatest church, not the biggest ministry, I'm not the best pastor. I'm like a dirty river in Jordan. There's a lot of better things out there. But if God asked you, just do it. If he asks you to wash, just wash. If he asks you to do this, just do it. I promise you, your skin will come again. God will come through whatever you need. Healing, finances, relational. He'll do it for you. That's the word of the Lord. I'm telling you, I've never preached that before. The Lord said to me, tell the people, stop trying to do all this stuff and just stay humble and just stay simple and just do what I tell them to do. Even though it's not as glorious and as exciting and as dramatic as others, just do it and I will come through for them. So you know what to do, do it. But now as the last few minutes or five minutes, I transition now to young ministers. Now listen, those of you that are watching, if you've got a call in your life, son, Quinn and Cole, you listen to me because you've got a call in your life. Taylor, Sandy and others, you listen to me because I know there's many else that are watching that are not here. But the word of the Lord came to me about the young ministers because remember the anointing is here for the people, but the anointing is also here for those that are being trained. And the Lord said something to me, Taylor, I've never heard him say in my life and I've never heard anybody else say it, but he said it to me and I know it's true. You can't prove it or disprove it, but I know it's true. The Lord said to me, did you know Gehazi had a five-fold call? Yeah. I said, I've never heard anybody say that, Lord. But just as Elisha submitted to Elijah and poured water, 2 Kings 3.11 said he poured water, he made his food, he washed his clothes. For seven to eight years, he served him before he received the anointing for his own ministry. Elisha knew what it was like to serve. Elisha knew the price naturally in order to get the spiritual impartation. And do you honestly think Elisha would have let somebody not repeat in his life what he had done with Elijah? Obviously, he was going to let the next, the next person who had the call of God on their life treat him the same way that he had treated his man of God, Elijah. I believe with all my heart that Gehazi had a call. And then I found a scripture which I didn't even know existed that said Gehazi was part of the school of the prophets which I did not say he was actually in training. Out of all the prophets, he picked Gehazi. God picked Gehazi. Why? Because he was, listen, the man with the double portion picks you. Pay attention. Do right. Because if the guy with the double portion is training you, one-on-one, it probably means that there's something coming on you in your future. Because why why, why would he waste his time if he wasn't going to impart the anointing to him? And I'm telling you, I heard the Holy Ghost say, now listen, I don't know who this is for, so I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I don't know. He didn't tell me names, but he, I heard him say, tell the congregation. And I've told you what he said. Now I heard him say, tell the ministers that are under you, tell them that listen to my statement. This is what he said to me. Just because they're around the anointing doesn't mean that that automatically qualifies them for their call. That's right. Yeah. 
Good and cold, just because you're around your dad doesn't mean it automatically qualifies you. Taylor, just because you work for me doesn't mean it automatically qualifies you. Just because people have me over for lunch or, 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 or want to sit and talk and ask questions and very honorable to do that, that doesn't automatically qualify you. Gehazi was around him. It did not automatically qualify him. Why? Gehazi had to guard his heart. And you can be around the greatest person in the world and lose it all. But not because the anointing's not real. Not because your call's not real. Not because God doesn't have a genuine future for you. Not because God hasn't set it up and the transference of that is coming on you in the future. You can lose it all, even being around great people, if you don't guard your heart. Remember that minister, I won't say his name, Jenny, but you know who I'm talking about? That, that was very close with Dad Dufresne, and, and we, went, we went to see William Branham's thing, remember? And he was there, and, and we were there, and, and he said to me, looked at me, and he said, I'll never leave him as long as I live. I'll never leave him. And I thought to myself, I, God didn't say to me. I just thought, well, we'll see. Yeah. Everybody says that. Sure. We'll see. I said that to doctor. He looked at Morgan and later and said, we'll see. Sure because you just can't buy it. And it proved out right for me. Amen. Within less than six months of doctor dying, he turned on Pastor Nancy, accused her falsely, and is gone. Accused her. Because he said, I'm a prophet. And Pastor Nancy said, the Lord has not revealed to me that you're a prophet. And you don't have the fruits of a prophet. And because he wanted the title of prophet instead of being a pastor. And Pastor Nancy refused to give him the title publicly. He got offended and left. So it's, it's easy to say, I'll be with you forever. Oh, those words are cheap. They flow, they flow, they're easy. But it's actions, it's guarding your heart. Because when there's a correction that comes, you have to guard your heart. Now, a big part of guarding your heart is to do with money. Because where your treasure or your money is, there's your heart. That's Matthew chapter 6. Now, Gehazi was around the anointing, had a call in his life, was being trained by the greatest prophet that has ever lived, greater even than Elijah. He's being trained by the double portion. His future is bright, but it's not guaranteed. He doesn't guard his heart. And what happens? He lets money in. Yeah. Judas was around the greatest preacher that has ever lived or will ever live. That's right. He was around Jesus for three and a half years. He saw so many acts. The Bible says that if you put them all in books, the whole world would be full of the books of what Jesus did in three and a half years. He saw, he saw things that you and I would give our left, right, arm and, and both toes. I mean, he, he saw stuff. And what was he doing? He was stealing from the money thing. And then when the lady comes and offers the honor to him from the alabaster thing, and he says, well, you should have given that to the poor. He uses the poor as the excuse because the Bible says he was stealing and he didn't want, he didn't want to give it to the poor. He wanted to steal it. So you see, you can be around the greatest anointing that has ever existed and not qualify you for your future. Just because you're at promise of life doesn't mean you're set. You don't guard your heart. Your goose is cooked. You can be around Dr. Dufresne. You can be around Benny Hinn. You can be around whoever you think is the greatest on earth. But if you don't guard your heart, it don't matter. Judas didn't guard his heart and he hung himself. Gehazi didn't guard his heart and he lost it all. You can, this is congregation members and ministers. You can be around the anointing, around me. If you don't guard your heart, the devil will take you out. And Gehazi, the servant of the man, uh, servant of Elisha, let's finish up now. The man of God said, behold, my master has spared name in the Syrian in not receiving at his hand that which he brought the offering. Now watch the statement. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. 
This guy is so deceived, he thinks his action comes from God. He says, as God lives, and that's another way of saying this is God's will. He's saying, if you study it in the original language, what he's saying is it is God's will for me to run after him. People can be around the anointing, but because of greed and other issues that they don't guard their heart, they can convince themselves, congregation members and ministers, that what they're feeling comes from God. And it don't come anywhere near from God. It's completely from their own flesh and the devil. But they say, what it, as the Lord liveth. He put God's name on his action of thieving. You see how deceived people can be even around the anointing? <laughs> and so Gazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lied down from the chair to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, it is well. He said, all is well. Now watch the liar at work. My master has sent me. That's not true saying, now he's quoting Elisha, but Elisha never said any of this. Behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. I mean, he's just making this up. My master sent me. No, he didn't. My master said this. No, he didn't. He, and he's putting God's name on it. You see how people can get deceived, Reverend Taylor, even when they're around the anointing? And Naaman said, be content, take two talents. What a a heart, because he's just been healed. He said, I won't just give you one talent, I'll double it. Because I just want to bless you. And he urged him. And so what did he do? He accepted it. And bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of raiments and laid them upon two of his servants. And they bear him before Gehazi. And verse 24, and it came. And when he came to the tower, he came home. He took them, what? The talents and the change of clothes from these servants' hands and then bestowed them in his house. He put them in his house. It's like those people in Ahab. Achan, he put the tithe in his tent and he lost everything. He touched what wasn't his. And he let the men go and they departed. And now he he thinks he's a God and got away with it. And he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Where'd you come from, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. I mean, he's just lying like a fish. I don't know if fish lie, but he's lying like one. He's lying like a rug. I know they lie. He's lying. And he put God's name on it. He said, God wants me to, as the Lord lives, I will go. By the way, my master said, he's got these two men, give it to me. Total lie. Takes it, hides it. Then the man of God says, where you come from? I didn't go anywhere. My God, you're playing with fire, man. And he said unto him, now watch this, the gift, listen to me. The gifts of the spirit will tip the scales. I may not know. Because I'm not around everywhere. But the gifts of the Spirit will will help me. The gifts of the Spirit will tip the scales every time. Knowledge beyond my ability. Elisha didn't know, but God showed him. Now, either this was a word of knowledge or it was a vision. It doesn't explain it. It just says, my heart went with you. But he saw Naaman get off the chariot. So I have my sense of it is that it was probably a vision that he had. God gave him a vision, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit. That seeing into the realm of spirits, the discerning of spirits, God revealed to him. And he said to them, went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Now, now, now here's the kicker. It's not that he couldn't receive an offering, but obviously God at that season had told the prophet, don't. 
Not every time, just this time. And he said, is it a time to receive money? Meaning there are times to receive money. Right now, right now, Gehazi, my spiritual son, we're in a season where God has said not to. And you know it. Is it a time right now? That doesn't mean it was never time because in the previous chapter he took. But right now, is, there a, is this a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Is this the time? Has God permitted it? In other words, you know it's not the time. You know I told you no and you did it and you lied and you put God's name on it and you're around the anointing, but you didn't guard your heart. You've got a great call and a great future. I, with a double portion, am training you personally. But you're about to lose it all. Wow. And the leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence as a leper, white as snow. I'm talking about as soon as he uttered the words. If you know anything about leprosy, it takes time. God sped up the leprous process, think about that, that in a matter of seconds, as soon as he spoke it, the leprosy not only came on him, but accelerated, and his skin instantly turned white as snow, which takes time. doesn't happen overnight. God sped up the judgment. And that meant that his sons had leprosy. And if he had grandchildren, they had leprosy. And every future generation would have leprosy forever until their seed is snuffed out of the earth. Why? He was around the glory. He was around the greatest anointing of the day. He was around a double portion. He was being trained. He was called. Whether you're called or not, it applies to all of us. He was called. He was appointed by God. Everything was bright for his future. But all of a sudden, he didn't guard his heart. And, he, and a, but the area of money got him. And a lot of people, the area of money gets them. You know, it was a clue. When Elisha, Jenny, in the previous chapter, chapter 4, Elisha says, take my staff. He's the trainee. Take my staff and put it on the dead boy's. Remember, the lady died. There was on her. And remember, now that should have worked. When Elisha says... Do this. He's speaking by the Spirit. That staff should have raised that boy. That represented the power of God. But he comes back, did you notice? And he says, it didn't work. And, and Elisha said, I will come. And he came and raised him. But the staff should have worked in the hand of the associate. Why did not it work the chapter before? Because his heart had already turned. You may, listen to me, you may not have touched the money yet. You may not have violated the covenant yet, but because you've decided in your heart you're going to, the anointing stops. He hadn't even done the action until chapter 5, but in chapter 4, the anointing wasn't working for him, Taylor. Did you see that? The anointing wasn't working chapter 4, but he didn't do the action until chapter 5. Why? Because just like Judas in his heart, he didn't take the 30 pieces until later, but in his heart, he was already accusing Jesus when the alabaster box happened. You see, he hadn't done the action. Well, he had already been stealing, but you know what I'm trying to say. The heart preceded the action. And a lot of people, they, hear, so they sit here and they smile and they say, Jesus, I love you and I love this today. But in your heart, something's gone wrong. You may have not actually done the action, but the anointing stopped works for you. It stopped working for you already because your heart is impure and you've already cut yourself off. You've already accused. You've already judged. You've already sinned. 
That's why that anointing doesn't work for you. But I'm not saying for, I'm not, that's not the majority. I'm just saying for people that are easily offended. 99% of you, this doesn't apply to what I'm saying. The anointing is working for you. But let me, let me tell you something. If you find that the anointing is not working for you, if I were you, I'd check your heart real quick. Because sometimes the anointing stops working before you even think that you've done some devious action. You may not have sworn at me and cussed and left the church in a fuss. You might just be harboring some unforgiveness and bitterness and stuff in your heart. But the anointing will stop working sometimes before an action even happens because in your heart, you've already, you've already displeased him. So listen, there's a lot of mercy. If, if, you, if he had come clean, I believe God would have forgiven him. But he lied. He lied to the guy. He lied to the man of God. He just lied. So if, you're, if the things aren't working right for you, stop for a second. Don't blame me. Don't blame God. Look at you and just say, listen, I might not have even done some grievous action, but something's not working right. Something obviously in my heart is not right. Something I've done something to offend, to hurt the Lord because the anointing's not working right for me. And, if it, and it stopped working with Gehazi long before he took the money. So check your heart and repent. Be humble. Say, Father, I don't know what I did. I'm sorry. Maybe he'll show you. Maybe he won't. But Lord, I repent. I keep my heart clean. I keep my heart pure. I'm humble before you. I won't let money interfere with my future. Lord, I'll be honorable. And, and just show God that you're humble and that you're soft heart. I'm telling you, he is so merciful. He will extend it to you. He'll say, no problem, son. No problem. You come right back to where you're supposed to be. And that anointing just starts working again. But if you don't, what does Hebrews say? You'll fail the grace. Because a root of bitterness rises up. That anointing stops working because you're bitter. And then the power of God that's available stops working for you. And then you're like Esau and you, you run away. So let's guard our heart. Remember, what did we learn? It doesn't have to be fancy. God will still come through. Just be humble and simple and obedient. And what else did we learn? Don't let money rob you because it robs a lot of people. Just because you're around the anointing doesn't mean you're safe. What else? And finally, what did we learn? If the anointing, if you don't feel, if it's not working in you right and you know something's grinding, the gears are not, something, check your heart. Because sometimes the anointing will stop because something's wrong with your heart even before you do an action. And if you just make the tweak in your heart, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Hallelujah. Do you receive that? Yes. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I bless this precious congregation. Lord, I thank you that you're answering us, that you're, you're with us. Glory to God. That you're, you're moving amongst us. You're growing our church. You're growing their lives. You're increasing them. You're increasing their family. You're increasing their revelation, their health, their favor. You're increasing their reach. You're increasing their voice. You're increasing this ministry. Lord, we want to keep our heart pure. Just because we're around the anointing doesn't automatically mean that we're safe. We've got to guard our heart. If things aren't working right in our life, let us look at our heart. Even if we don't think we've done some grievous sin, let us look at our heart. Because it's in the heart where things first start to go wrong. Lord, if we'll be quick to repent, you'll be quick to forgive. And that anointing will work like it did before. Lord, when you ask us to do things so the anointing can help us, let us not try to make it all big, showy, and fancy. Let us just obey quickly and humbly and simply. Lord, there were lots of nuggets here today to help. Let, let us never let money get in the way of the anointing. We'll, well, we need money, it's a tool, but we will always keep it in its right place in our hearts. We will never serve it, we serve you, Father. In Jesus' name. We don't wanna be a Gehazi, we wanna be an Elisha. I thank you for it, hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus.